Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, take your Bibles, if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we'll read there in just a moment, but for now, just find your place. Matthew chapter 28. I want to preach today on this subject, no joke, he's alive. Now, why would you title a sermon, No Joke, He's Alive? Well, for the first time in 62 years, April Fools and Easter are on the same day. So, um, it means you might want to be careful biting into that treat this afternoon. Uh, Somebody could be playing a joke on you. I, I couldn't help but Think about April Fool's jokes and, and what some of the greatest of all time were. I, dig back, I dug back deep into history. April Fool's jokes have been going on a long time, and I found three. I've got some pictures up here to show you. Number one happened in April 1st, 1974. It was the eruption of Mount Edgecombe. You can see it right there. The residents of Sitka, Alaska woke up in 1974. They looked up at the mountain, and it was a dormant volcano, and they saw that Uh, smoke coming from it and the residents began to panic because they thought that the volcano was about to erupt and if you've ever been to Sitka, Alaska, my wife and I have, you just can't get off. It's going to take you a while to get away and so the residents began to panic only to find out a local practical joker named Porky Bicker had been flying old tires up and dumping them in the volcano And he set them on fire on April 1st, 1974. Pretty good. Get you killed, but pretty good. Um, uh, 1934, April the 1st. Many Americans, including the New York Times, saw a printed photograph of a man flying through the air by means of a device powered only by the breath from his lungs. The man identified as German pilot Eric Kocher blew into a box on his chest that activated a powerful suction machine that in turn lifted him off the ground. He had skis for landing poles. Now, the New York Times ran the article and thought it thought the photograph was real. But it was an April Fool's joke printed by a Berlin newspaper. The joke was that the man's name, Eric Kocher, was the German word for puffing or wheezing. You cannot pilot a plane with your breath. This is probably my favorite. It's from 1992, April the 1st, and it happened in Los Angeles. A local business that was only three miles from the Los Angeles airport hung up a sign that said, Welcome to Chicago in big red letters. From somebody who flies a lot, that would be unnerving. They left it up for three days and it said, welcome to Chicago as the plane started to land. And and, and in today's day and age, probably uh, the most, the biggest practical joker on April 1st is Google. Google usually, or for quite a few years, always released 
an April Fool's video, and they've gotten out of the habit just a little bit because people quit believing them, but in 2013, they released a new video called Google Knows, N-O-S-E. Watch this short video, let's explain it to you. Google search is incredibly powerful, and you can search for text across the internet, most of human knowledge, images, books, videos, but we'd realized there was an important part of the search experience that we'd overlooked. Our task as designers is to get our users the information they're looking for as quickly and as beautifully as possible. But until now, we couldn't always give users what they're looking for, because sometimes they're not looking at all. My wife and I have a puppy with so much energy that we walk her five times a day, and she sniffs around every nook and cranny. This is how she gets information about her world. Photo auditory olfactory sensory convergence is a phenomenon that's been promised in science fiction for decades. We're excited to announce Google Knows Beta, our flagship olfactory knowledge feature enabling users to search for smells. Our mobile aroma indexing program has been able to amass a 15 million centibyte database of smells from around the world. With an elegant integration into our existing knowledge panels, the Google Knows Beta Smell button seamlessly connects scent to search. By intersecting photons with infrasound waves, Google Knows Beta temporarily aligns molecules to emulate a particular scent. Google Knows Beta works on nearly all desktops, laptops, and quite a few mobile devices. In the fast-paced world that we live in, we don't always have time to stop and smell the roses. Now, with Google Knows Beta, the roses are just a click away. If you have a question like, what does a new car smell like? Who knows the answer? Google knows. What does a ghost smell like? Google knows. What does the inside of an Egyptian tomb smell like? Google knows. Google knows. Google knows. Beta. I love that, but <laughs> smells like a rat to me. So that was uh, 2013. So, see, you see something so bizarre or so amazing, and there's something, some common sense factor inside of you that kicks in and says, this cannot be true. Maybe even something like a dead man rising from the grave. There are those that will tell you in this world that the resurrection of Jesus is just a hoax, maybe not a April Fool's hoax, but it is a hoax that it could not possibly be true. But listen, the same people that tell us that also believe that the world just happened to be here. They also believe that we as human beings started off as a single cell organism and now we have turned into what we are today. They also believe that by total chance, the world just happens to be hanging at the exact degree so as not to either burn us up or freeze us to death. On and on I can go, but here's what I want to tell you this morning. The resurrection of Jesus is not a joke. Though in the beginning, some people tried to make it one. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? And I want us to read really what is just the most familiar passage of scripture on the resurrection, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse one. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. 
Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Verse 7, And go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There, There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them there saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren uh, Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 11. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled, assembled with elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. (coughs) Thank you, mate. (coughs) Where we are. Sorry. Jesus has already been betrayed. He has been falsely accused. He has been condemned. And Jesus has been given a fraudulent trial. There's no way (coughs) he should have been convicted the way he was. Then they have in Matthew, before Matthew 28, they have him to death. And then Joseph, a follower of Jesus, has taken his body, went to Pilate and asked if he could have the body. And so Pilate gave him the body of Jesus. He put it in a borrowed tomb. So the Pharisees who had killed him went to Pilate and said this, Jesus predicted he would rise again in three days. So Pilate, we want to set uh, guards, not just two, multiple guards at the tomb to guard the tomb for three days because we don't want the disciples to come and steal his body away. And so Pilate agreed. And so Matthew chapter 28 opens up and there is a huge stone rolled against the tomb and the guards are guarding the tomb. You get to verse number one, it's been three days since the body, and because it was a Passover holiday, they had not prepared the body yet. So two ladies named Mary came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus for burial. They would have washed it, cleaned it, anointed it, wrapped it. It'd be what we would call embalming today. And while the ladies were uh, at, when they walked up to the tomb, the Bible says there was a great earthquake. And because of this great earthquake, it was caused by an angel who came back from, who came from heaven The angel went to the tomb and rolled the stone away from the door. And the Bible says that the angel glowed, um, the the best way you could describe it is glowed like lightning. And so the guards were there at the tomb and they saw the angel, they felt the earthquake, they, they saw this glowing being and the Bible says they shook from fear and literally 
passed out at the tomb. And so the angel looked at the two women and said, hey, don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for the crucified Jesus. And some of the most beautiful words in the Bible are found next. He is not here. He's risen just as he said. And so the angel invited them in to go look and uh, see where he was and then go back and see that the tomb was empty and then uh, commanded them to go back and tell the disciples and told them where to meet Jesus. And so the Bible says that they left the tomb. I love this in verse number eight. They left the tomb with great fear and joy. You don't normally find those two uh, uh, emotions together, fear and joy. But I'll be honest, if you went to the funeral of a loved one and they rose from the dead, you would be happy and a little bit nervous all at the same time, right? And so while they're running away with fear and joy, they met Jesus in verse number 9 and he took away their fear. And then verse number 10, we have this Famous verse of scripture where the guards woke up from the tomb. The angel was gone, but the problem is Jesus was gone. Now, here's what you know, need to know about the guards. When they were charged with keeping a prisoner, when they were charged with guarding something, they guarded it with their lives. If you lost what you were guarding, they took your life. And so they went with fear and they told the chief priests and the Pharisees and they called a big meeting together. And here's what the Bible said happened. They paid the soldiers large sums of money to say that the disciples had stolen the body away while the guards slept. You say, why did they have to pay them large sums of money? Here's why. Because if you fell asleep on the job, you would lose your life. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees literally said, we've got your back. Verse 14, we'll appease the governor if he hears about this. So they gave them an enormous sum of money to spread the lie that the disciples had taken the body of Jesus away. That is the gospel story in a nutshell. And I want to take that story, that is the resurrection story in a nutshell, and I want to take that story about the resurrection. And I want to make three statements today that I want you to hear about the resurrection that apply to us. Number one, know this. Know that the stone cannot stop him. Don't think that the stone can stop him. See, the Pharisees knew Jesus had predicted his own resurrection. As a matter of fact, this is interesting. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of Jesus more than the disciples believed in the resurrection of Jesus. If the disciples had believed in the resurrection of Jesus, they should have been standing at the tomb on day three. But on day three, they're nowhere to be found, and the guards are still guarding the tomb. So to add an exclamation point onto their murder, these Pharisees posted guards, and they rolled a giant stone against the tomb. And their thinking was, there's no way he can get past all this, even if he did rise from the grave. Even if he did get out of the grave, this stone is too heavy for him to roll away. Even if he did rise from the dead, he'll never get past our professional guards. But in reality, if the grave could not hold him down, neither could a rock and a few swords keep him down. You say, well... The angel had to roll the stone away for Jesus to get out. That is not true. Jesus was gone already. The angel rolled the stone away to let Mary into the tomb to see it was empty. He was gone. The ladies needed to see where it was. And here's what I want to tell you. 
The resurrection of Jesus proved one thing for sure. Here's what it is. The grave cannot stop Jesus. What does that mean to me, preacher? Here's what that means. That means that if the stone can't stop him, don't think for a minute that he's going to have any problems with your problems in life. You know, sometimes we get the idea that, preacher, you don't know how bad my life is messed up. You don't know what all I have going on. You don't know how bad things are. Listen to me. Jesus rose from the dead. I don't care what problem you have, you are not dead. I know it is 8.30 service, but you're not dead. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, if the stone could not stop him, your problems aren't going to either. That's what the resurrection does for the child of God. It lets us know that whatever comes our way, listen, whatever comes our way, Jesus can handle it. I didn't know this until this week. I I read this story. Uh, I had no idea that um, in Oregon, until this past Monday, you were not allowed to pump your own gas. Matter of fact, there's only two states in the Union, New Jersey and Oregon, where you're not allowed to pump your own gas. Well, back in in December, uh, Oregon passed House Bill 2482, which made it legal in half of Oregon's counties. So you wonder, how dumb are the other half, right? Like, no, you, you can't do it, sorry. Half of Oregon's counties are now allowed to pump their own gas. You say, well, what's the big deal? Oregonians, is that how you say it? Went berserk when the bill passed. A local CBS affiliate posted it on their Facebook page and said, beginning Monday, you are allowed to pump your own gas in these counties, and people in Oregon went berserk. Here's a few of the comments. I don't even know how to pump gas, and I'm 62. (laughs) Another one. I lived in this state all my life, and I refuse all capital letters, refuse to pump my own gas. This is a service only qualified people should perform. I will literally park at the pump and wait until someone pumps my gas. (laughs) Yeah. Another one. Many people are not capable of knowing how to pump gas and the hazards of not doing it correctly. I mean, you got to admit, it is complicated. Do I stick the hose in my mouth or do I put it in that thing? I mean, it is complex. The rules are not clear. Finally, yuck, pumping my own fuel in freezing temperatures and handling a nasty old fuel nozzle that 50 other people have touched that day and who knows what cooties are on there. No, thank you. (laughs) I mean, don't take this personally, but I now have decided I will never vote for a president from Oregon, right? Like, I I don't get it. So here's my thinking. If you can't figure out how to pump your own gas, I don't have a lot of confidence you can do anything else either. But if you can conquer death, hey, you got everything else too. 
And just like the choir sang earlier, just like the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? Listen, I don't know what problems you may have coming here with today, but I do know that the resurrection looks at your problem and says, no big deal. I conquered death. The stone couldn't stop him. And I want to tell you, take your problems to Jesus. The second thing I want to tell you today, the resurrection tells us, and that is this. Number two, don't get conquered by the cross. Now hold on, hang with me for just a second. If you wrote that down, hang with me. I'm not saying the cross is not important. The cross is vitally important. It's crucial to Christianity as much as the resurrection is. It's on the cross that we find forgiveness. It's on the cross that we find propitiation. It's on the cross that we find our Savior. It's on the cross where he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All of that happened on the cross. But get this, that wasn't the end of the gospel story. As a matter of fact, I love how verse 5, if you were to have your Bible open, verse number 5, the angel uh, says it so well in verse 5. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Hey, it's been three days since the crucifixion. And the problem with those ladies and the problem with the disciples is they could not get beyond the pain of the cross. And look right this way. The reason that's important is you need to understand the gospel story does not end with the cross. The gospel story finishes with the resurrection of Jesus. And some of you are here today and you're in your own life and you can't get beyond the pain in your own life. And here's the truth. You have been hurt. You have been damaged. You have been let down. You have been wounded. You have lost hope. And you think the story is over. Can I say to you, the story is never over if you know Jesus. You have stopped at the wrong point in your life. Hey, you, you universe, I'll be, you, you, you know, you University of Tennessee fans, you, you remember that college playoff game you won? That, oh, wait, I am so sorry. That was not you. Um, I'm sorry. That was Georgia. That's right. It was Georgia. I'm so sorry. I got confused. Um, college playoff game this year, Georgia and Oklahoma played, and it looked pretty dire. At one point, Georgia was down by 17 points in the first half, and listen, in 2000, the 17-18 college football year, when college football teams were ahead by 17 points, they were 536 and 16. 536 and 16. And Georgia got down by 17 points and had all kinds of people tell me, I turned it off at halftime. But can I tell you, halftime was only halftime. If you had stayed till the end of the story, it didn't end at the half. It ended in overtime, double overtime, with Sony Michelle running a 27-yard touchdown. Can I get an amen right there, Georgia fans? Right. <laughs> and then we went to the national championship. Oh, wait, never mind. Uh, um, uh, sorry. I got excited. Um, 
See, if you, you turned it off at halftime, you missed the end of the story. And sometimes, I want to tell you, in life we give up too easily. And I know you have problems. I know you have heartaches. And I know you have hurt. But the resurrection says quit looking for a crucified Savior and start looking for a resurrected one. That's why we don't walk around with uh, 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 necklaces most of the time with Jesus hanging on the cross. He's not hanging on the cross. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Quit looking for defeat and start looking for victory. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, guess what? You win. You say, preacher, you don't know how bad my life is. Doesn't matter. You win. You say, preacher, you don't know. No, I know. But listen, if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives in your heart to get you through all of your troubles in life. You say, but I may not make it. I know. I know you may not. And all you have to look forward to is heaven for all of eternity. Don't get conquered by the cross. Number three, I'm finished. Don't miss the blessing of believing. Let's go back to those guards beginning in verse number 10. They, they, the guards saw the angel. They knew it was an angel. The guards felt the earthquake. There was such heavenly power that descended and landed on the tomb that the guards passed out. They knew. They were guarding the tomb because he had proclaimed to be the Messiah. Listen to me. The guards knew what happened. You say, well, how do you know for sure? Here's how you know. The Bible makes it plain. It took large sums of money to buy their silence. Because they were going to tell people, hey, we saw an angel, earthquake, rolled a stone away. We passed out and Jesus, best we can tell, got up and walked out of the grave. And the Pharisee says, uh, you can't tell that story. And they said, well, that's what we saw. That's what we know happened. And they said, how much money will it take for you to say otherwise? And they paid the guards off. And close your Bibles and let me preach just for a second. And I'm done. In that moment, beginning in verse number 10, when the guard said, no, he was resurrected, and the chief priest said, no, you can't tell that story, immediately the resurrection demanded a decision. Am I going to believe it or not? See, here, here's the issue with the resurrected Savior. You can't hear the news of a resurrected Savior and just sit there. It demands a decision. It demanded a decision by Mary. It demanded a decision by the disciples. It demanded a decision by the guards. It demanded a decision by the Pharisees. And I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, it demands a decision by you today. You cannot hear about the resurrection of Jesus and say, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. No, it demands that you make a choice. Am I going to believe it or not? This past Thursday night, uh, my wife and I and Two friends of ours from 
we've been friends for 20 years, but for the last six years, we went to the Braves home opener. For Braves fans, it was kind of boring or even discouraging for most of the game, but eighth inning, it got interesting. The Braves tied it. The ninth inning, we hit a walk-off home run by Nick Markakis to win the game. I got a couple. There's the one Braves win. I took that from the scoreboard. You got the next one up there. Uh, here's the Braves celebrating the win uh, afterwards. Now, now, here, now, well, I got one more. That's us trying to get to the car in the thunderstorm afterwards. <laughs> Wasn't near as fun as it looked like. Um, here's the deal, man. Nick Markegas hit that home run. The place went berserk when he hit that home run. We were standing up, shouting, cheering. Look, there were some Philly fans down here right to the right of me. Had on the Red Phillies hat and a Red Philly shirt. Weird thing, they didn't say a word. The lights, man, I don't know if you've seen the new stadium or not, but they don't have the big old halogen lights that take an hour to come on. They got big LED light banks, and they can slide the lights up and down just in a split second. The place was going dark, and fireworks, and people were shouting and, and throwing stuff, and it was awesome. And here's what, here, here's what happened. There wasn't a person in the stadium that gave a neutral response. Here's why. On a walk-off home run, you have to choose a side. You're either going to bow your head in shame or you're going to celebrate the winning side. And I want to say to you, far more important, Jesus is resurrected. Hey, the resurrection was a walk-off home run in the bottom of the third. You have to choose a side. You have to make a decision. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the resurrection demands that you make a decision. You say, oh, preacher, I'm just going to, I, I, you know, I'm not going to choose. There's, you have to choose side. Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. There's no neutral ground. And he put an exclamation point on that at the resurrection. And he said, now you choose. I have risen from the dead. You don't get to be neutral anymore. The disciples made a choice, follow Jesus. The guards made a choice. Let's spread the rumor that it was just a joke, that it was a lie, that it was a hoax. They decided, and they spent eternity in hell even today. So if you'd like to choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that. You have, you have to make a decision. This morning you can say, no, I decide not to decide today. And that's saying no to a resurrected Savior. Or today you can decide, I trust Jesus. I accept him as the Lord and Savior of my life. And it's as simple as ABC. Follow me. A, you've got to admit that you cannot save yourself. How many of you would admit you've done something wrong in your life before? Raise your hand. How many of you would admit you did something wrong this morning getting ready for church? Raise your hand, right? Like most of us. Right? Well, here's the problem. Heaven demands perfection, and you're not perfect, and neither am I, and no one's ever been but Jesus. So if heaven demands perfection, you've got to admit you can't save yourself. The Bible said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. B, you have to believe that Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day. That's the gospel story. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, the resurrection is key to being a believer. 
you got to believe he rose from the dead. So if, you, if you'll admit that you've sinned, if you'll admit, hey, I believe Jesus died for my sins and I believe he rose again, I can't explain it, but I believe it. Then three, you're, all, you're, you're, you're this close to being saved, but this close is not close enough. See, you've got to call out to him and confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many of you would say this morning, preacher, I don't know that I'm a Christian, I don't know that I'm saved, and this morning God's speaking to my heart and I feel like today's the day. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to pray with me just now. If this morning you would like to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. It's no magic formula you say, but the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus as your Savior. You you may can just start praying right now. Maybe you know how to pray, but if you don't know how to pray, I'll help you. While our heads are bowed, you can just say something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself but I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day so right now I invite Jesus Christ into my life to forgive me of my sins to save me and give me a home in heaven I trust Jesus and Jesus alone so while our heads are bowed, our eyes are We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.